Man, I, I believe it's a big day, and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I'm a sports guy. I like sports. It's a big day because the Patriots are going to win an, another Super Bowl tonight, right? But that's actually not why I'm pumped this morning. Man, God has been um, uh, burning this message inside of me, and uh, I, I'm ready to preach. And so for the next hour or so, um, I hope it's not an hour, but Brian, it, it could be, bro. Um, but, uh, but for the next little while, I want, I want to encourage you to, to press in. I had a friend of mine uh, from Florida text me this morning and say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for your message today. I said, thanks. You know, he's like, wealth and, uh, health and wealth. And I was like, yeah, with a little bit of sin and forgiveness. And, um, and, and he said, oh, nothing like a Super Bowl Sunday in New England to talk about sin and forgiveness. Um, but that's where we are. And uh, I believe, really, I believe, all joking aside, God wants to set some of us free um, this morning. God wants to set some of us free this morning. I was listening to a message this past week uh, that from, from a pastor uh, who used to pastor a church uh, down in Southern California. And, uh, and he, told, he told a story about a guy um, that had started coming to their church and, uh, and, and was, had given his life to the Lord, was radically um, saved, and, and, and the whole church was excited because they had prayed for this guy for quite some time. And, and about six months went by, and, um, and, and, and he noticed that um, the guy wasn't attending church anymore. And so he went up to um, one, of, one of his friends and said, hey, you know, you know what's happening to this guy? He's like, yeah, he's, he's stepped away from church and said he wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, and, and the pastor was really bummed and said, well, you know, do you know what happened? Do you know what, do you know what went on? Do you know the story? And he said, yeah, he's like, you know, he came out of a gang lifestyle, right? He was, in a, he was a part of a gang and he, he came out of the gang lifestyle and he thought that when he gave his life to the Lord that he was going to feel a deep sense of community like he felt in the gang and he didn't. He found more community and more uh, love and more support from that gang so he's gone back into the gang life. And when I heard that, I was... I was I, when I heard him tell that story, I, was, I, I, was, I felt like I was almost as burdened as he was. Because he, he, he couldn't really tell the story without getting choked up, right? Because it's, because it's like, you know, as, as pastors, and I, and I think you want the same thing. Like, I think, I think you wouldn't be here this morning wearing your Tom Brady jerseys. Amen. You can stay. Um, you know, um, I, I don't think you would be here if you didn't want the same. But yet there's something... I believe that keeps us from being fully known in the church. And I think it's forgiveness. A lack of forgiveness, a lack of forgiving, a lack of something. Because the reality is, and we're going to talk about this a little bit at the end of the message too, but, 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 but I can't avoid it right now. The reality is, if we're 99% known, we're not known. If we're 99% known, we're not known. There's that 1% that is unknown about us. And, 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 and trust me, I know the tension many of us walk in here with every Sunday morning or every Wednesday night or whenever we darken the doors of this place, we walk in here and we're like, okay, I'm known as this person, but they can't know the full me. There's this piece of us that many of us hold on to, 
because of shame, because of fear, because of guilt, because of doubt, because of whatever it is that we hold on to that keeps us from being fully known. But you know what? That's not the gospel. The gospel happened so that we could be fully known. I was having coffee with somebody the other day, and, and, um, and, and a piece of my world was kind of blown up. Because I'd like to think that, you know, Kristen and I, you know, having, having four kids, I'd like to think, you know, we have a really good handle on the way our house runs. You know what I mean? I, I, I'd like to think that. And so I was, having, I was having coffee with somebody recently, and, and, uh, and, he, and he had helped us out with some, some car trouble that we had had, and he had to show up one Saturday morning to kind of fix something at, at about 9 a.m. And this particular Saturday, we had one kid playing a basketball game here. We had another kid playing a basketball game here. We had to run get a birthday present and a gift bag and all that here before the basketball game started. And so Kristen and I, you know, she had two, I had two, and we were you know, playing the team defense thing, zone defense, of course, because we're outnumbered. And, um, and, and you know, and, and we were doing this, and she was, you know, getting ready to go, and I was getting ready to go, and apparently there was a kid screaming. I didn't even remember that, because that's just the part of the norm, right? I mean, that's just, it's normal, you know? And, and, and so we didn't think much of it. You know, she's still screaming, so she's obviously still breathing, so all, everything's cool, you know? <laughs> If they're not screaming, that's when you worry. Um, but, um, and, and so, you know, he, he was telling me, he was reliving this for me, which was very encouraging, obviously. And he said, it made me feel so good because you're normal. Like, your house is just as chaotic as the other person's house. You're, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're any different than the rest of us. And I'm like, well, if you needed that to feel good about yourself, then whatever. I'm just kidding. But it was a great reminder, right? Because some of us, right, some of us, we try to avoid, we try to keep that chaos from other people, right? I mean, we were in the elder meeting the other night, right? And, and we were talking about, you know, what's an elder? What's an elder? Doesn't that give you comfort that your elders are asking, what's an elder? You know, <laughs> isn't that comforting? Anyway, but we were, we were just talking. We were sharpening ourselves. And, and one of the things that we looked at is someone that manages their own household well, right? Oh no, this person saw a kid of mine crying at my house. I'm not managing my own household well. I'm not fit for the pulpit. And there's that, there's that, there could, there could be, right? There could be. There's not because, again, kids screaming, that's normal, right? But there could be this fear setting in that, oh no, if they see the, a little sign of brokenness, or if they see a little sign of chaos, or if they see a little sign of, I don't have it all together, then pff, my world is wrecked. My world is ruined. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is for you. But the reality is, many of us keep community at arm's length. We keep this at arm's length for fear that if someone actually knew, if someone actually knew, 
my past, if someone actually knew my present, if someone actually knew the thoughts I had when I woke up this morning, if someone actually knew what was really happening in my bank account, if someone actually knew the status and the condition of my marriage or my relationship with my kids, if someone actually knew, if they actually knew my heart, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't welcome me. They wouldn't let me lead. They wouldn't let me take care of kids. They wouldn't let me serve. And it keeps us from being fully known. And I love that Jesus, I love that Jesus in the, this Lord's Prayer that we've been studying deals with it. And in fact, in fact, he deals with it on the same level as he dealt with provision last week. Give us this day our daily bread because we all need bread. Right? We talked about it last week. We all need provision. We all need this. And, he, and in this Lord's Prayer, He connects them. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and there's not a period there and equally as important, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And that's what I want us to unpack today because not only do we need provision, but the and there, the and there, the fact that Jesus didn't stop, you know, give us this day our daily bread, then forgive us. No, give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. So what he's saying there is that provision and pardon are equal. What he's saying there is that provision and pardon are equal, and they're equal in the gospel. So this provision, give us this day our daily bread, and this pardon, forgive us our sins as we've also forgiven those who've sinned against us. This provision and this Pardon are equal. So, man, listen, before we keep diving in, and I'm, I have no idea where I am in my notes right now, but we'll figure that out in a second. I was just really, man, I, I'm really burdened this morning that God wants to set some of us free. I'm really burdened this morning that we're walking in here and we're thinking way more about what we're cooking for 630 than what's happening in this place. And, 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 and I, I, I want you to hear me say I get it. That 1%, that 5%, that 20%, whatever it, whatever it is that you're hanging on to, that you, that you think, that you think, and you've become so conditioned to where it's just normal and comfortable for you, and if God were to actually take that away, it would, it would feel really awkward for a little bit. I believe God wants to set us free from that. Because only to be 90% known, 95% known, is not to be known. And the gospel happens so that we could be the beloved sons and daughters of God, which means the gospel means that you are fully, fully, everybody say fully. Fully, good, you're still with me. Fully known. Fully known. Fully known. Fully known. 
All right, let's figure out where we're at and let's, let's keep going. Let's figure out where we're at and let's keep going. So we're going to examine, right, this second, this second deal. Let's read it again. Uh, verses 12, and then we're going to jump down to 14 and 15. At, and, and, right, and I think that word and there is huge because, again, it connects, right? It connects the two. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. I want you to see that too. I want you to see that too. Forgiveness just isn't for us. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the first thing we see here, the first thing we see here is pretty obvious, but point number one, this is a prayer for forgiveness. I was talking to a few of you um, throughout the week and even this morning, uh, you know, we're talking about forgiveness today, right? And some of us are like, oh, because it's heavy. But if we are sincere, when we pray, forgive us our debts, or when we pray, forgive us our trespasses, whatever your translations say there, then we're openly admitting ourselves as guilty, right? We're openly admitting ourselves of some type of wrongdoing, of some type of sin. See, many of us falsely presume that because when we are saved, we have no further need to ask for forgiveness, right? I'm good. I've asked for forgiveness. I've, I've come to Jesus. He's in my heart. I don't need to ask for forgiveness again. But if you're anything like me, man, this is like a every minute thing, <laughs> So, so this, of course, is not the case. First John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, I love this, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Look at the promise to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I want you to go back to verse 8 there. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, you know what that tells me this morning? This message is for each and every one of us. And here's what I want you to get away from. Because the temptation for me, if I'm sitting in your spot this morning, the temptation for me is to say, well, well yes, you know, of course, I'm a sinner, saved by grace, I struggle, but, but, Pastor Travis... Not near as much as that guy. Right? I mean, I mean, if we're sitting, and here's what we've got to do. We've got to get out of the business of ranking sin. We have, in the church, made some things acceptable, right, which is not biblical whatsoever. Gossip equals the same level of sin as that thing that disgusts you. In the, in the eyes of God, gossip disgusts Him just as much as that thing that disgusts you. But yet, we've made that acceptable. Did you hear that Travis just lets his kids scream? What type of parent is that? He's not fit for ministry. just as disgusting in the eyes of God. But we've made that acceptable. We've made that okay. Let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you this, because, God, because gossip can sometimes get t t twisted a little bit. I heard Dave Ramsey give a definition of gossip 
back in like 2008 that has stuck with me, um, obviously for a while now. But he defines gossip as this, sharing anything with someone that has no impact over the result. Right? So, so, so if I'm talking, even though they're brother and sister, if I'm talking to Jan about the way that Jeff plays piano, right, then, then, then that could be gossip, right? Even if she agrees with me, and she probably would, <laughs> right? I mean, she probably, I mean, let's, let's just be honest for a second here, right? But that's beside the point. Right? It's gossip. It's gossip. But if I go to Jeff, right, he won't be, well, he, he won't like me as much anymore. Well, he, let me, let me, add, let me, add, hmm. let's just go here for a second. Is the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of God, is this whole thing bigger than our feelings? I mean, I think so. I think so. And so he'll be fine. Right? He'll be okay. He'll go. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to go at it because here's the thing. Speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. And so many of us just allow each other to live in unforgiveness, live in shame, live in sin because we're scared of what we're going to think about each other at the other end. When I believe I believe at the bottom of my heart that we're walking around in so much bondage that is unnecessary. If you're sitting here this morning and you can honestly say, I have zero blind spots, then I want you to buy me coffee this week and tell me how to get there. Because I think we all have blind spots. We all have areas that where we need someone to come and say, look, bro, if you would just pick her up, she'd quit screaming. So there's a prayer for forgiveness. Number two, I want you to get this because many of us stop there, right? Uh, for, forgive me my sins. Forgive me my trespasses. Forgive me my debts. But Jesus didn't stop there, did He? As we have also forgiven our debtors. So there's not only a prayer for forgiveness. Number two, there's a prayer here for a forgiving spirit. And there's three attitudes that are associated with this extending forgiveness that we've got to deal with. Number one, I can't. I can't forgive them. He didn't tell the disciples that they could pray, Lord, forgive me my trespasses, and I will try to forgive those who have wronged me. That's not the prayer. He didn't, he didn't say, Lord, forgive me my trespasses, and hopefully, hopefully, in time, in time, I'll be able to forgive those who have wronged me. No, 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 no. He told them that when they had forgiven others, they could then claim their own forgiveness. When they had forgiven others, they could then claim their forgiveness. You see that? You see that? Not the other way around. Sometimes, sometimes we excuse our lack of forgiveness on the grounds that the one who has wronged us doesn't deserve our forgiveness. But the truth is, no one ever 
wrongs you as you have wronged God. See, our view of God is so important when it comes to forgiveness. Our view of where we stand with God is so important when it comes to forgiveness because no one has ever wronged us in the way that we've wronged God. If you think about Matthew chapter 18, we're going to try to fly through this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. I'm going to probably jump around a little bit, but you'll get the gist of it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So there's a king and some servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Great story, right? Awesome story. Woo, man, that king is awesome. That's not the end. But, verse 28, verse 28 when, this, when that servant, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now I want you to get this. 10,000 talents, a hundred denarii. Very different, okay? To demonstrate this a little bit for you. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Paying what you, pay what you owe. Right? Verse 29, so his fellow, fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And he refused and went and put, him until, and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and, you, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Not might, not will consider, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The point is that we marvel. The point is that we are to marvel at how the first servant could be so unforgiving to his fellow servant's debt. After being let off the hook for so much, how could he be so mean and cruel? When God's grace comes into our heart, it makes us forgiving. When God's grace comes into our heart, it makes us forgiving. It makes us forgiving. We demonstrate whether or not we've been forgiven by how we forgive. The bottom line is if we refuse to forgive, there can be only one reason that we've never received the grace of Christ. Therefore, we don't understand the gospel. The way we forgive, the way we live forgiven all is a reflection of how we see the gospel. So the first attitude when it comes to forgiveness is, I can't. There's no way I can't because we don't understand. Number two, I won't. I'm not willing. I'm not willing. I'm not, will, I'm not willing. I will not forgive. I'm not willing. I'm not willing. And you know what's at the root of this? And it's so, so fitting for me to talk about this because I've got this all together and I don't struggle with this whatsoever, but the root of this is pride. And I wish that first part was true. The root of this becomes pride. I won't, I won't forgive them because I don't need to be the first person to give in. I don't need the first person to let my guard down. They wronged me. They should come to me. 
How does that fit with the gospel? Not very well. Does it? When we look at Jesus, Philippians 2, stepped out of heaven, humbled himself by coming to earth. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he did it for us, right? He did it for all those who would believe that we see in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, right? We were on his mind when he did that. And so, so, so there's forgiveness there. There's grace there. There's, there's love there, right? And then, and then in, in Philippians 2, we see that he humbled himself a second time, became a servant, obedient to, the, obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so in the gospel, we see that an unworthy group of people received forgiveness when they didn't deserve it and when they didn't come to him first. So we see, I can't, I won't. And then the third attitude related to forgiveness is I'm willing. I'm willing. What's the one you think we should strive for? The I'm willing. The I'm willing. You know what fascinates me about the grace of Christ? See, see, some of us feel so much like we're damaged goods. But when, when Christ did this, when this happened, when the cross happened, when, when Jesus went to the cross and you were on His mind, and we're told in Scripture how we were on His mind, He knew what you were going to be. He knew your 5%. He knew your 1%. He knew the parts of us that we were going to view as ugly. And yet there's not a return policy on your life. the debt is paid. I can't. I want. I won't. I'm willing. What does it look like for you in your 1% and your 5% and your relationships with the people that you do life with for you to live in a state when it comes to forgiveness? You know what? I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to forgive because of how I've been forgiven. Because anything that you could do to me could not compare to where I've wronged God. And yet what He's done for me is grace and forgiveness. And it's the least I could do to you to do the same. To offer the same. And so I'm willing. I'm willing. We see this illustrated so well, and I really, I, I, contrary to popular belief, I don't like talking about time in a message, but I, I feel like we need to go here because it wraps this message up so well.
And if you look at the book of John chapter 4, we see some things that I believe are just so illustrative of how Jesus wants to set us free this morning that illustrates what we've talked about here. John 4, we're going to start in verse 7. A woman, we, 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 many of us probably know the story very well. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, the backstory of this that we really don't have time to get into is that Jesus, Jesus went out of his way to go through Samaria. Jesus went out of his way to interact with this woman and he said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from, from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Again, don't have time to really unpack that. But verse 10 here, Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, here's the thing. I believe so many of us, so many of us, so many of us are desperate, are, are, are drenched, excuse me, are, 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 are uh, uh, parched for living water. Like, like my, the, the vision that I've had in my mind all week since reading this has been what, what would it look like if Summit Church, what would it look like if, if we just started living out of the living water? Like, 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 what if we were fully known and fully forgiven, therefore, so therefore we fully forgave, and we just started living out of the streams of living water and not out of the 5% of fear? Like, like, what would it look like? Like, what if we reflected a gang in how we, in how, I, mean, I mean, you see where I'm going here? In how we supported each other and how we cared for each other and how we had our backs. Now, I know that's the experience of some, but it's not the experience of all. We've had people walk away from this church because they didn't feel the love that they thought they should feel. Like, what does it look like for you to operate out of streams of living water? Like, I don't know about you, but I want to live out of streams of living water. I want to live out of streams of living water. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you knew, if you just knew who you were talking to, if you just knew who you were talking with, and she's going to find out here in just a few minutes, but if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for streams of living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink from, to drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus said to her, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life." The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, or have to come here to draw water." Sir, give it to me, right? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go. This is where it gets good. I mean, it's, it's been good. And the whole thing's good. But man, for our conversation and our context today, I hope you're ready for this. Jesus said to her, go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him. 
I have no husband. Jesus said to him, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said here is true. Now, I I want you to see here for just a moment the topic of this woman's shame, the topic of this woman's forgiveness was husband, right? And Jesus, I want you to see, I want you to see because in our context, right, I've got to know you for a while before I talk about your piano. You know, I've got to know you. We've got to have a trust built up. We've, we've talked about that many times, right? There's got to be, and I, and I believe that there's got to be a little bit of context and relationship for you to be able to pull from to have hard conversations. But I want you to see here, Jesus didn't. Jesus went right up to this woman and faced her shame head on. Go call your husband. And he knew. Like the beauty of it is, is that he knew. The woman said, I, I, I don't have a husband, right? And Jesus is like, right. Ding, 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 right? You're right, exactly. Right, you didn't try to hide it. There's the 1%, there's the 5%. You've had five husbands, and the one, the one you have now, right, isn't even your husband at all. Now, I want you to see what she does. And tell me, we're not pros at this in the church of Jesus Christ today. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. You see what she's doing here? She's dodging the shame. She's dodging the 1%. She's dodging the 5%. And she tries to dodge it with a theological question. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, the place where, uh, where people, uh, Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, now, I want you to see. I want you to see what she does here, right? Here's your shame. Well, who ought to run the church, Jesus? I mean, let's really talk about that. That's more important. Is it Calvinism? Is it Arminianism? Was Calvin right? Um, you know, is it elder-led? Is it elder-rule? You know, you know, who does this? Who serves that? What role does this person play? What color should this be? What song should we sing? What song should we sing? Is the devil really in the drums or not? I'm a drummer too, so I can talk about him. And I want you to see what this woman did because it's so many of our responses today. When things get a little hot temperature-wise, we say, I perceive you're a prophet. Let's talk about this. Let's have this debate. Let's talk about politics. Let's get off of my shame. And look at what Jesus responds with. There's a podium there. Look at what Jesus responds with. Woman, That wasn't even it. Some of y'all laughed and that wasn't even it. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. What's Jesus saying? Doesn't matter. That's coming. Like that's that's coming later. That's going to make sense later. You're not even going to get to the bottom of that this side of heaven. So why are you arguing about it? Why are you fighting about it? Why are you allowing it to divide the church? That's not essential. The hour is coming when no walls will divide the church. Whoa, I can't wait for the day when no walls divide the church. Amen? The, the hour is coming. You worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But, here's the gospel, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. She tries to use theology to protect her heart, to protect her shame, because she was comfortable in it. She was rejected by culture, but she was used to it. She had become numb to it. And here Jesus is confronting her with the true gospel and saying, you can be set free, but don't use your theology to protect your heart. Let me have your heart. Let me be the object of your worship. Let me have it all. There's no shame that you carry that I didn't die for. None. None. Stop hiding. Stop hiding. Worship me. Worship me. By this point, this woman is all confused. But I want you to see one or two more things. The woman said to him, I know, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he's going to tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, and this is uber important. If you don't know what that means, ask your kids. This is extremely important for us this morning. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, John is famous in his gospel for these I am statements. We just sang the song, Great I Am, about the power of Jesus. And, and, and this is the first I am statement that we see in the gospel of John that he's famous for pinning. And I want you to see that the first I am statement goes to not a disciple, not someone who had it all together, not someone who had memorized all the scripture, not someone that was perfect, not someone that was without brokenness, but this woman who had her brokenness and her shame called out by Jesus. It didn't matter about her gender. It didn't matter about her, her, her background and her nationality. None of that mattered. What mattered was that Jesus was pursuing her heart and wanted her to be called daughter of Jesus, daughter of God. We, none of it mattered. I, who you were talking to, am he. The great I am. What love, what grace, what truth. A woman runs back to her town, left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, now I want you to remember, this woman would have been a reject in her town. Reject. She says in verse 29, come and see a man who told me my 5%, told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 39, fast forward, many Samaritans from that, fa that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her shame became her testimony. Her 5%, her 1%, 
became what revived a town. What caused a revival to break out among the people? And many more believed, verse, 30, verse 41, because of his word, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. A couple things I want to say before we jump into communion. The lie that we believe in this room this morning is that we cannot be fully for- forgiven. The lie that you're believing from the pit of hell is that because of what you've done, what you're doing, what you're set up to do is that you cannot live fully forgiven. But I want you to know that that happened so that you could be set free in the name of Jesus. If we couldn't be fully forgiven, guess what? He'd still be in the grave. But he's not. But he's not. But he's not. We've got to stop believing the lie that we can't be fully forgiven. He sets us free. Number two, the second thing really practically I want you to get is this. Don't fight the devil in the dark. Don't fight the devil in the dark. What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. There has to be in our prayer, and we see this in the Lord's Prayer, there has to be an element of confession. There has to be an element of confession. And I believe that as we are forgiven and we live forgiven, there has to be that group of people, as small as it may be, it may be one person, maybe whoever, that helps you fight the devil. But if you're sitting there trying to jab in the dark, you're just punching air. Wait, whoa. Whoa, I was tracking with you all day until you said, you mean I need to share my 1% with somebody? Yep. You want freedom? You don't want to carry those chains around any longer, do you? I mean, you want, you want the freedom that we've been talking about this morning? You want, you want the gospel we've been talking about? Yep. Share it with somebody. And be selective. I'm not saying right after service you ought to run up to Zan. I mean, he's, he's got baby brain. I mean, it's great to see you guys this morning. That baby's so stinking cute. Congrats. Stay away, everybody else, okay? I'm not saying that. Don't fight the devil in the dark. And then lastly, lastly, I think this is really important for us to remember, and we've already hit on it a couple times. You cannot, everybody say cannot, out the cross of Christ. You cannot out the cross of Christ. If you could, he'd still be in the grave. And, uh, Ezra's, Ezra's go-to breakfast is peanut butter Nutella sandwich. Okay? If you haven't had it, try it. It's actually pretty good. Okay? Peanut butter Nutella sandwich. Now, the issue with the peanut butter Nutella sandwich mixed with early in the morning with a three-year-old is that all of that equals mess. Like, like the whole thing. Nutella, if you've ever messed with it, it's messy. Three-year-olds, if you've ever had one, been around one, messy, right? Peanut butter, messy. 6.30 in the morning, messy, 
right? It just all, it, it, it's a perfect equation. It's just like the Pythagorean theorem, right? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Nutella plus three-year-old plus 6.30 in the morning equals mess, right? Mess. But one of my favorite moments in the morning is when my son is almost done with his sandwich. And man, this hit me this past week as I was preparing for this message. And it may not hit you in the same way, but man, it made me stop in my tracks. One of my favorite moments every morning is when my son turns at me. Daddy, I need a paper towel. Which means clean my hands. Now, I could ignore him. Right? Or I could just give him a paper towel, clean your own hands. Do it yourself. You're three, handle it. Right? But you know what that would equal? Every toy having Nutella, all the kitchen cabinets having peanut butter, there being a streak of bread for the dog to just lick up, it would equal more mess. And many of us, our lives look like the latter. God, I know you're busy. I know you're running the world, and I know you're answering all of Jan's prayers because she's more important than me. I, I, know, I, I, know, I know you're busy, and so you know what? I'm just going to take my 5%. My mess. And I'm just going to get up, down from the counter and I'm just going to go and figure it out. And you've been causing another mess and another mess and another mess and another mess when Jesus was right there and all you had to do was say, can you clean my hands? Can you take the 5% too? Can you take the 1%? Can you take that thing that happened to me when I was 13 that I've been carrying for 50 years? That's caused so much shame and hurt for me and the people around me for so long, for too long. Can you, can you just take it too? So that I can walk freely. So that my three-year-old can play freely and we don't have to worry about Nutella getting on our 20-month-old when she plays with the same toy a few minutes later. We're not that crazy, but hopefully you get the connection. 